You're listening to episode 41 of the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. On today's episode, Russia, 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 and obstruction of justice, says anonymous sources and unnamed people familiar with the matter, and James Clapper's head in a glass case. Here's Monica. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley and the latest episode of the Propaganda Report. How you doing, Binkley? Uh, I think I'm going to be investigated by Congress soon over the memos. Because you're, you're leaky? I, I'm leaky. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a bad toilet. Like, we've got a, uh, we, there are a lot of leaks in the White House. That's a great way to describe <laughs> our government. It's a bad toilet. It really is. It's a bad toilet, only there's no fixing it. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. So here's the news of the week, in my opinion. I should say it's the episode of the week. It's the uh, it's the there's a new series. The new season has started. I, I don't know what it's going to be called. Last last year is the election. First it was the campaign. Then it was the election. And now I think the new the new season might be special prosecutor. It'll it'll be be a collaboration, Jeff Zucker and Donald Trump together again in the reality show of the year. And that's I I almost wonder if Donald Trump made that deal with Zucker. Like, you get me to be president so I can make real estate deals all over the world and pump up the winter White House Mar-a-Lago for, (laughs) you know, for like my retirement income. Great branding on that. Yeah, no, it's amazing. They put a little TM on the corner. But that, then that they will take the – that in return, Trump promises to fill the election void. Every every four years, the mainstream media has an election void the year after these big ratings. And I think somebody finally had the genius idea to fix that and at the same time prevent any campaign promises from ever being fulfilled. And that's why I think we're, we're – this is – I think that is one of – the big direct results of the Russian hacking thing. They're going to be indirect results, which I talked about on the WSB show on Saturday, which is episode what? What episode? 40. Episode 40. If you want to hear kind of last week's, <laughs> our review of last week's episode, then uh, and the calls and all that, but there are real Russian hacking implications. Clapper and Yates talked about how they want to tighten up. I call it upsource the election process. They want to uh, censor the news or at least flag with warnings, news they don't want you to believe. And they want to juice up, put on steroids, the propaganda efforts abroad, especially in Russia. Yes. So we have a whole show on that. And, and Clapper that- plays the perfect supervillain. Totally. Yeah. He even has like that kind of, he looks like a mask. Like you could, he, he's, he looks like he was designed to have aftermarket products. He was 3D, <laughs> he was 3D printed. Totally. With like the, when you see like the head of the guy, you, you see the, the sculptor artists at Disney Studios and they have like yeah. a head and they're yeah. sculpting it with a little putty knife and they put in folds and bags on the bald head first before they put the wig <laughs> on. That's what he looks like. I just had this image of Clapper playing a character at the Renaissance Festival when it, when he said uh, – I was thinking about those wax things and him being this just bolsterous character 
heckling people at the Renaissance. So I don't know why that image popped into my he head. He definitely but, has know. like a hump in his back and he has like yeah. a turkey leg in his hand. Is that the what you're thinking? Maybe <laughs> yes, like a, I can a see dirty that. fur over his shoulder. Yes. Now he's too low energy for that. He he seems to me to just be like a guy whose head is like from Futurama is in like a bubble. <laughs> he doesn't even right. have a body anymore. He just he has a head next to Nixon's. <laughs> so speaking of Nixon, actually, that's what I think. There there are a few things that are come out, gonna come out of going to, in my opinion, come out of the Russia hack, which are like Russia. I think is the is the enemy du jour. Because it will get people mad enough to want to fight in Syria and Ukraine or whatever, make it look like they're mad enough, even though they won't be. But that, so there's that. There's it'll be a distraction from what I called. I said whether they call it his incompetence or his ineptness or his naivete or being sabotaged uh, or inexperienced, the epitaph of Trump's campaign agenda is going to be. I tried. <laughs> and there's not going to be any – he's not going to do anything. It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It works. It really does for the yeah. people who who are diehard supporters because as long as he looks like he's putting forth that agenda and it looks like he's getting beat up, they're going to uh, accept the I tried conclusion whether it's true or not. Right, and they're going to be super mad because they it's an effective coup. Like Watergate supposedly – was an actual coup like the cia did it to get rid of nixon and they couldn't just kill him like they did jfk even though he was an insider they still get rid of insiders sometimes so so to sabotage the president this way and what so the right is portraying him as paranoid and isolated i mean the parallels with watergate are so ridiculously obvious that I'm beginning to predict what's next, and I'll tell you a couple of things on that. But but Trump comes out and does interviews like he did with Lester Holt on NBC, where he sounds very measured and sober, and he's he's got his old little style of kind of the uh, afraid of litigation style where you don't actually p- connect all the dots. It's this art of ambiguity, and it's making his supporters defend him. And then the media, which he throws things out, like the Comey tweet that said, Comey better hope I don't have tapes. <laughs> you know? And that, of course, makes the media and the left go absolutely insane. Insane. Insane, because it was such a crazy thing to do, and he's not stupid. So he's he's feeding into this. I completely agree with that, yeah. that he, his tweets are – I think they're highly calculated. They're, yes, I do. And they're, and they're few and far between. You think he tweets a lot, but he doesn't. I mean he drops these bombs. You know, in a measured way, uh, three or four a day at the most, only on big days. You know, the other stuff is about uh, going to like a flower club with Melania, you know. Right. You, you know, with with his tweets, I was telling somebody this the other day, and with the whole Russian story, they know exactly how everybody's going to react at this point. Whenever he tweets something, they know how the pundits on the left and the pundits on the right are going to react. They know how it's going to get filtered through social media. They know how the dominoes are going to fall and how the reactions are going to reverberate around the country every single time. Well, because they send out memos and these guys read them verbatim. We've seen that happen a thousand well, times. Yes, so you know true, they but, tell them how to react. But even if they didn't, though, people are so conditioned, just the average person is so conditioned to have either uh, they're going to reject everything or they're going to yeah. rationalize everything. Yeah, so they yeah. know exactly how the country is going to react. So when something like that is, is put down, what he effectively does is he 
uh, focuses the attention of the entire country on one singular thing and away from anything else. So any so the Russian story, as long as that tension is there, there's almost no reason to diffuse that tension because it gives him the power to just direct the entire country's attention on one thing and away from anything else. And I read an article that Dean tweeted to me from Zero Hedge that pointed out that not only – was it does this distract from the campaign agenda by getting the so-called resistance please cut my tongue out if i say that again because i'm the resistance <laughs> we were the resistance led by hillary clinton now. Led, oh she she hijacked it the way sarah palin hijacked the tea party yeah. but but they but the way it, what this article said was that the resistance is now totally focused on Donald Trump and Russia and all this ridiculous crap when they could actually demand some kind of value for their money even though they're socialists they they believe in a benevolent government they should be demanding that from people like Chuck Schumer and Diane Feinstein and all they're going to get from both sides both side all the voters on both sides playing into this the one thing nobody seems to realize is that the media and the government on both sides of the aisle are united simply on getting to war with Russia anyway so like that's the only policy item that's going to be fulfilled is war with Russia but i just wanted to say how this uh that Trump plays into this stuff. So to think that he's the victim is can't be true because he tweets this thing out for Comey, which we agree is uh, contrived. But the Russian ambassador and foreign minister who went to see him last week, Lavrov and Kislyak, I think his name is, he they, they immediately leapt out at me that the American media press was was denied access to the meeting, but the Russian press was allowed. I tweeted about it. I wrote about it numerous times that it just the optics are just awful of that. And then when I saw that it took place in the Oval Office and there's this new scandal about what actually was said in the meeting, did they out Israeli intelligence about some airline threat? And laptops, which like was that, a, like that was a secret. Exactly. And then so I, well, I tweeted out an article from last week that revealed all of that information. You know, it was just completely out there already. He didn't say it was Israel. He just said, we know about laptops and airlines threat. And that was a story that was already in the news. But there's this ambiguous thing going where the White House is denying it and the Washington Post is standing by the story and all that kind of stuff. So I immediately looked up, was that conversation in the Oval Office and was the disputed Comey conversation in the Oval Office? Yes, they both were in the Oval Office. And then I went back and looked up Watergate stuff. And he, of course, Nixon had these tapes in the Oval Office that they that he wanted to destroy, but then decided not to destroy. Ultimately, they brought him down. I think myself that this is all completely made up. So even if they're they're gonna there aren't gonna be any tapes that well, I don't know, but but I don't think they're gonna actually be able to manufacture a Watergate thing where there are tapes that get played. I think it's going to be were the tapes destroyed. Uh, they've already started demanding any recordings that might have been made of any of these conversations. And 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 so I noticed this thing about the Russian press was there, but the U.S. press wasn't. So there's no American information. And then, lo, right before we went to air today, Binkley, I saw Putin said, I have the notes from the meeting. Yeah, I can resolve. Oh, you saw that already? I can resolve this this dispute, which of course doesn't resolve it at all. It just makes it like, oh God, oh, Putin, 
Putin's going to give us the answer? Nobody will believe it anyway. So this whole thing to me, and it has a couple of layers at the most venal, the most uh, greed-oriented, money-driven is that that Trump is going to do what he does best, and that is deliver ratings. He certainly does. And the Congress and Senate are going to do what they do best, which is blow hard and screw you over. So that's going to happen too, and uh, and it's all going to dovetail in uh, in no one having any the the right wants war in Syria and Ukraine against Russia just because war, and then the left wants it because because Russia. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing when those things happen, and like you said, there's so much ambiguity around them. We don't really know, based on what they're telling us anyway, what what the facts are and what can be proven. But when you go look at Twitter, everybody already knows what happened. Everybody instantly has a certain opinion about what they 100 percent believe is true about these events that are so completely ambiguous. Yeah, and and the way it's reported the way oh, it's yes. reported, yes. it's outrageous how it's reported. And I was reading to you earlier, we can get to it whenever you want, the crazy quotes from, maybe I'll, I'll read a few of them now, from Comey had a hearing on May 3rd where uh, the senators, like, don't forget, the senators are allowed to lie on the Senate floor. That's why Harry Reid could say that Mitt Romney cheated on his taxes. They were allowed to absolutely lie. So they have – there are all these these quotes – I won't go through them now, but there are all these quotes from the Senate when Comey was being uh, interviewed talk, in the hearing on May 3rd saying, as we all know, as you well know, as I'm sure you know, as you have stated in the past, and Comey doesn't – that Russia is behind all this, Republicans, Democrats, everybody. And Comey, no, you know, sometimes he says, I agree with that or yes, you're right or whatever, but most of the time he doesn't. And he doesn't even have to refute it because they're just lying. You know, I mean, maybe maybe he should refute it, but I don't think they could bring him up on perjury for just not saying anything. So but but the regular newspaper articles, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, they're all reporting like secondhand information as being actually true. And on top of that, what you and I noticed for months already, when it gets really far fetched, they just write. Two people said it. You know, yeah. Two anonymous people who people close over, to the matter. People close to the matter who overheard somebody talking on the phone while going to the bathroom said right. that. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, what is this story exactly? <laughs> who said it? And the, and I have to read you. And this maybe you can. I know you have some thoughts on this, so I'm gonna. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but I must read to you the gigantic headline across today's wall street journal no quotes no alleged nothing trump asked comey to drop probe yes that there's a bunch of headlines exactly like that that's the wall street journal print version but but what really oh, that's happened. what it says on the on the wall street journal the print version the wall street journal oh, on wow. my doorstep this morning i didn't see that one yeah so when before i have my glasses on that's all I know. I'm like, wow, wow. I, th- I, yes. you know, I wanted to investigate that, but I realized that obviously it's 100% true because they would never write that like that if it were like somebody overheard or Comey said, you know, so, but you tell me what's the, what's the real story? 
the real story is that it's based on someone who was read a couple of things from a memo by an anonymous source. But just like you said, they make it sound like it's just 100% proven. I have a bunch of those headlines as well. CNN said, memo, Trump asked Comey to end Flynn investigation. New York Times, Comey says Trump asked him to end Flynn investigation. BBC, Trump asked FBI's Comey to drop Flynn inquiry. There's neither a memo nor was it from Comey, right? Right. We, we have never actually seen a memo. And Comey never even said that it exists, correct? Exactly, yeah. And that's <laughs> like it took me like 30 minutes to realize. Yeah, like, I only looked at that I'm, because you said so. Yeah. When you first look at the story, you think, wow, Comey must have come out and made this claim himself. Because what they're doing is while the commentator will describe the claim, they'll be rolling old footage of Comey giving testimony to Congress or something with a caption that says, Comey says Trump asked him to stop investigation. So it looks like Comey just recently made this statement. I've actually heard media people, directors, producers, whatever, of news from years and years ago during the Clinton Bush the Clinton Bush campaign in 2000 or whenever that was, 1988, no, 92, that they they said, we'll put Clinton's, we'll, we'll show clips of Clinton, but with Bush, we'll put his picture up and just read what he said. So they really think about the impact. Right. And they're like, that will make people think of Clinton as animated, alive, real. You know, they, they and I hear what you're saying. You're saying that they're putting... They're they're reading over as if Comey is saying it, but it's not Comey yes, at exactly. all, which is is so deceptive. And I'm just saying right. it. They know it's deceptive, right? And it you know maybe it turns out that there is uh, some sort of memo. I here's what I personally think. I'll go into a little bit more later because I have a clip I want to play you. But I think that if that memo was produced, what you're going to get is a lot of context, which is going to really lessen the impact of the point they're trying to push. Oh. Yes, when I saw that Lester Holt interview of on NBC of Trump actually discussing this, that is all over the papers. It the interview on the prime time I watched the whole show starts like in the middle of a sentence. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, there's no context whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, did you look at that? Because I did. Yeah. And they and who the heck knows? It could have been he was defending. him. was like, we heard you hate Comey. Well, he's a showboat. You know what I mean? But like instead, they're just like, he's a showboat. They, he was clearly prompt. You're right. He was. the, And you have no idea what was said. And they and no. And he doesn't defend it. Nobody defends that. Even people think The Wall Street Journal, which is the same company as Fox, is on is giving you the true story. But they're not. They're not right. they're not actually giving you journalism. They're telling you the pieces of information that support that support their point of view is all they're doing and they're leaving everything else out. And I think their point of view at this point in this case with the Comey thing is simply to generate a media event that will last for months if not a year. I think because when Comey, when you when it looked like Comey came out, I was like, this is way too soon in the season for Comey to actually make an appearance. You know, like this is going right, to unfold right. where it's and even if there are a special prosecutor hearings and stuff like that, it's not like Trump's going to show up for, for Senate like that's going to be the cliffhanger. Yes. All right. Let me play you a couple of clips. The first clip I want to play is just Chris Matthews introducing the story about the, the Comey memo and. Yeah, just just listen to it. Listen to how certain he is in his presentation of this. Good evening. I'm Chris Matthews from Washington. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you let this go. 
Well, that is what President Trump said to the head of the FBI when he met with James Comey in February, according to a memorandum Comey kept for his file. Before he fired Comey for not dropping the Russian thing, he fired he tried asking him to drop it personally. Well, this bombshell hit tonight. The New York Times has the story and NBC confirms it. President Trump tried to shut down the Federal Bureau of Investigation probe of then National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and his conversations with the Russian ambassador. Not getting his way, Trump fired the FBI director. Again, that's the story out tonight. So wait. <laughs> I know. I, uh, the NBA, NBC confirms it, which means NBC also said two random people right. claim yep. there's this memo that that Comey scribbled down after the meeting. I mean, that was. I crazy. have the confirmation. But oh, I went really? and found the confirmation. Oh, good for you. Yeah, let's hear. Let it. me read the confirmation yes. we get from NBC, and then I'm going to read you two sentences they say about a paragraph later. This is the NBC. The NBC headline is Comey wrote memo saying Trump urged him to drop the Flynn investigation. And, it, and then it says semicolon sources. That's the headline. <laughs> oh, well, sources. I guess, sorry, I take it all back. <laughs> no need to read further. Sources say it's so. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. What does it say in there? What did, did you? It says fired FBI director James Comey wrote an internal memo saying President Donald Trump asked him to shut down an investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Multiple sources with firsthand knowledge of the memo told NBC News on Tuesday. So their confirmation is more unnamed sources. Yeah, I read one thing that said uh, uh, that one of the sources recalled the memo in detail. And I'm thinking, so the guy's not even reading the memo to you because one of them said the guy was reading the memo or something right. like that. You know, they're not even I mean, that could you imagine being in a court of law and saying, well, I know he killed the guy because a friend of mine told me that he saw a piece of paper yeah. that the, that another right. witness said wrote down afterwards that the guy confessed i mean literally that's what we're talking about here it's like saying you read it on a, a chat forum on the internet or on a, on a bathroom wall at a, at a bar you can't remember the name of i mean it's no so... comey did it i was taking a leak somebody wrote you know comey and trump yeah, and, and the yeah. guy i saw a guy's shoes were enormous under the stall i mean it has to have been comey who else could have feet that big <laughs> really official looking shoes <laughs> There's definitely right. cop shoes. <laughs> so later on in that, like a paragraph later, it tells us that the unclassified memo raises questions about obstruction of justice, which I thought was interesting because in other interviews, they don't tell you that it's an unclassified memo. If it's an unclassified memo, then why aren't we seeing the memo yet? Because it's just it's just Comey's notes. If it exists, it's he scribbled something on uh, you know a napkin at a bar and they're making it sound like a formal memo but it's not even classified so and at this why can't point, we see it at this point he you know depending on how deep state an actor comey actually is he could create it you know what i mean like the, exactly. the value of those things is that they're raw because it's not real value right you could just make it up but if you wrote it in your diary on the day and it's wedged between other diary entries that are clearly of the, you know, dates that make it make sense, yeah. you, you can't, even if it's a lie, it would have to be a lie that anticipated what you wanted it to say later. Right. So, so exactly. if he had, you know, if it had fallen out of his pocket on the way to the Senate, 
before he had a hearing or whatever, be like, oh, wow, this is interesting. But now that he's like, okay, what's it supposed to say? You know, if I see it, yeah. if I see the memo now, there's, there's nothing. Somebody made it up and, and maybe even just gave him an idea. Hey, Comey, in case you didn't, you know, I have no way to contact you directly, but this is what we want you to do. Yeah, I think he's just, he, I, I think these guys like Flynn, Comey, they just, they're done, you know, they're done with it. They're, they're. You would hear stuff like that with Obama, too. Like, people would quote him and, and say that he said stuff. But you couldn't be sure, you know? And then right. he would never address it, and it just... Well, to your... I actually have a clip that speaks to exactly what you're saying. Uh, I want to read you this other quote real quick from that NBC article, the one that confirmed the New York yeah. Times story. <laughs> like, right after this, it says... Neither the New York Times or NBC News has seen the memo, but the Times said an associate of Comey's read part of it to a reporter. That was it. That was the one I saw. We actually read it. So so that guy has it. So somebody was sitting there with it to read off of. It was probably a blank piece of paper. Yeah, but I mean, if it doesn't <laughs> if it never materializes, yeah, so like, why don't you take a picture of it with your phone and send it to me? Exactly. You no, know, like, why does the reporter say that? Oh, well, we don't have phones. Like, I hate it when they act like everybody doesn't have the exact same technology. My husband calls me. He's like, hey, I left some handwritten notes on a napkin on the counter. Could you take a picture of it and send it to me? I need it for a meeting. And I mean, I do it all the time. And people do yeah. it for me. Just take a picture of the grocery list and send it to me. And this is all over the interviews that are going on. Like Rachel Maddow asked the New York Times writer, do you have any idea why they wouldn't let you see the memo? And he's just like, oh, well, I mean, they, sometimes they get a little nervous around us. And Jake Tapper's like, we have sources that tell us that this information has been confirmed and these sources have seen the memo. You realize that the exact same narrative is being played out around the Russia meeting in the Oval Office. Do you realize yes. that? So <laughs> yes, it's all this denial thing. stuff like the White House is denying. And then you have all the senators and congressmen saying, if it's true, it's really bad. If it's true. And like I keep waiting. Waiting for someone, you know, Lindsey Graham to say, gee, now if there were only some way to find out what was said in the Oval Office, gee, I wish Nixon were still around. Wait a second. Trump is Nixon. Let's I I bet there are tapes. And that's actually almost that's now that I put it together, that's what this Klobuchar chick. Klobuchar, whatever. How do you say her name? She basically said that uh, in this article the other day. Like, I have to read this quote to you. All right. Don't mind. Don't yeah, go ahead. So she kind of scooped me because I'd written this article saying, ah, oh, I know they're going to, because the Russian thing happened in the Oval Office and the Comey thing happened in the Oval Office. And my point is that all this back and forth, he said, she said, denial, swearing, I see the memo, blah, 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 is all this ambiguity taken to a fever pitch so that right. all anybody wants to know is what really was said in the Oval Office. So this was yesterday, Senator Amy Klobuchar said... Uh, she said, this is a quote from the journal, the Trump administration's initial pushback on the reports indicates the White House has a recording of the meeting. Now, that was just out of nowhere. Like there was it did, the, the, the pushback indicates report. No, I read it all. No, it didn't. 
And then she, quote, clearly, if there is some kind of a readout or a transcript from that meeting, that means there is a tape. We need to get a hold of that. So there was nothing would indicate that there was a tape or readout or anything at all. And she just introduced that idea into the world, you know, to, to take flight and you know, poop all over everything. <laughs> this is what they do. <laughs> they make these declarative statements, that, which is really just a rumor that they hope to be true, and they state them as fact, and they repeat them over and over and over again like Chris Matthews did. And then it gets spread around Twitter, and it becomes truth for people whose confirmation bias it satisfies. That is true, but there are a couple of little bombshells like this one and – in this uh, in this other article I was reading and was writing about, but I didn't pull this quote, even though I flagged it as complete BS, is that McMaster. So so I'm so not I'm saying this particular thing, what she's doing is launching a meme oh, yeah. you know, that's not out there already. Like she's Put the she's, idea out yes, there. Yeah, she's triggering the next wave. And McMaster triggered triggered something yesterday. I knew it was BS. I didn't know where it was going. It said in the Wall Street Journal, there were few quotes like this, like one person said in the Wall Street Journal said, oh, when Trump met Comey, he said, hey, look at this guy. He's even more famous than me. Like, really? Yeah. That didn't happen. And then there was a a and then the thing that like Obama warned Trump about Flynn. I find that hard to believe. Uh, and then this quote where McMaster was was denying that anything went wrong in the Russia meeting in the Oval Office and he was going out into the hallway, saw the press there, turned around, like turned tail, <laughs> which is impossible to believe, turned tail and said out loud to people around him, the last place I want to be is out there with them. And I was like, why would the Wall Street Journal put what is obviously an unverifiable quote, totally not pertinent to the article, in there and then like for the next 24 hours the last 24 hours all i heard was uh this is a they don't want to talk to the press they're hiding and and it kind of goes on with like sean spicer hiding in the bushes last week that that uh the white house is on the run from the press that's another meme that was exploded floated out there with this wall street journal article it's just – I mean there's nothing – like truth doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't – nobody wants to flush out any investigation and find any – they don't want to wait to present any facts. They want to They want to put rumors forth and hope that later they become true. And then not only is truth not important, content actually isn't important. Like no, no crimes, like even with Benghazi. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think Hillary had Chris – Stevens killed because of what he knew, but nobody ever suggested that. They just said she uh, covered up the reason for the attack, that it wasn't a video. Like she lied. Same thing with email gate. She had a private server. I mean, that was the crime, not that she used it to amass great wealth, but that she had it. And Russia, it's not like he's influencing policy. It's that they revealed emails that were true. You know, like there's no inherent crime here. Yeah. But it doesn't matter that they were true because they came from Russia. Which they didn't. <laughs> exactly. They, didn't. they were not hacks. They were leaked. Which nobody can actually prove that. Like right. there's no ev- – the evidence that people cite as proof that Russia hacked the DNC 
are the findings of a private cybersecurity firm that analyzed the DNC servers. The DNC didn't actually let the FBI or the CIA analyze their servers. They only let this private security firm do it. But the problem is that this private security firm doesn't have any credibility among cybersecurity experts. There's no other evidence supporting that Russia hacked into the DNC servers. Are you talking about Bill Binney and the the great kind of respected whistleblowers who wrote that? Like I think it was in a mainstream media newspaper, which has to make you wonder, where they talked about how it simply had to have been a leak and not a hack. Is that what you're no, talking ta- about? Other, you're talking about other stuff too. The DNC had a private some sort of cyber security firm, a private oh, firm. Sorry. They, yeah. Okay, I missed that. Yeah, they didn't let the FBI or the CIA investigate their servers. They hired a private firm. One one firm looked at the servers and determined that it was Russia that hacked their servers. And that's oh. like the bulk of their evidence. And the credibility of that cybersecurity firm is highly questionable. So so here's the crazy part that they are pushing for, which I think is going to be the number one thing or one of the big things. that. So they want Oval Office tapes. They also want financial records of Trump and his associates. So what they could actually do is just investigate the crime. And if the DNC is not pressing charges against it, the DNC is a private organization, then it, there's then screw it. You know, like – they, they should be investigating the crime and not looking for all the circumstantial evidence when there is yeah. actual evidence they could be dispositive. They, exactly. They're not even looking at it. Right. Not even talking um, about it. I want to play you a, a one more clip. We know that the guy was read from the Comey memo. Somebody read it to him, and like Jake Tapper's like, we have also confirmed it, but they've confirmed it, and they're, they're really emphasizing in the media that their sources have seen the memo. So that's like how they're certain, you know. So I want you know if you can't get James Comey, because that's what I would expect. Oh, you're going to have James Comey on for this bombshell interview, right? Then I would expect, well, let's we're going to have this guy who actually read the memo, maybe has a copy of the memo on <laughs> for a bombshell interview, right? No, you don't get either one of those. Here's here's what you get instead, and this is Rachel Maddow, but this this was going on on every single CNN and MSNBC show. This is Maddow interviewing someone who used to work with James Comey. So joining us now is Frank Montoya, former special agent in charge of the FBI Seattle Division, where he worked under James Comey. Mr. Montoya, thank you for your 25 years of service to the FBI, and thanks for, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Greetings from Salt Lake City. <laughs> Tell me um, if this resonates with you, this idea that he might have made notes initialed notes that he circulated to other high-ranking FBI officials after a meeting in which he was troubled by what happened uh, with that conversation with the president. Does that sound like him? Absolutely. 100%. Do you know how he liked to take notes? Uh, by hand, on the computer, in uh, by email, on BlackBerry? That's oh the segment. God. This is how we're proving this claim. We're having people who can confirm that James Comey takes notes. <laughs> And then circulates them. I mean, that is really kind of kooky. That he it's like he's that. dead, you know? It's like he's dead, so they have to make yes, sure they can bring yes. all these people in. Yes. Yeah, he took notes all the time. Yeah, they, nobody can find He's Richard Simmons. He's just completely... He's, yes, Richard Simmons. He's gone. <laughs> he's in hiding. They're calling it memorializing is what they're calling it. There was one like – I can't remember the guy's name, but it was an, an 
MSNBC show where he started off, all right, we're going to talk about memorializing. And he goes on this monologue about how James Comey, lawyers, and professional people always take notes of conversations when they think something questionable is going on. It might be actually the opposite. We're like, destroy all your notes because something questionable is going on. I mean, that's, I think, closer to the truth. But memorializing is kind of funny because – it is like that's what you say when somebody's dead. It's like Kobe like, <laughs> yeah. tried, had to memorialize it because he's now retired and can't be reached for comment. And they Comey, requested they, they yeah. were requesting him to go to Senate next week, so I assume he is not going to go. And why not subpoena him? Like, uh, and then I guess that maybe goes to how this needs to be declared a formal investigation. But there are investigations going on. Can't they subpoena people, or do they have to have a special cross- prosecutor for that? I have no idea. I, I personally think we're not going to see those notes because of what we spoke to earlier because when you see them in the broader context, like here's what they say that – I don't think we actually said what they claim that Trump said. They claim that Trump said, I hope you can let this go, the president told Mr. Comey, according to the memo. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. And then Flynn replied only by saying – I agree. He's a good guy. Comey. Comey replied. Yes, that's how Comey yeah. replied, right? Like, like that. What, what's his name? Comey could have just been saying, I know nothing's going on with Russia, but they're getting on me about this. And I got to do all this stuff just to you know, ease this burden. I know nothing happened. I just hope I can let this go pretty soon. And then Trump could have replied, I hope you can let this go. Like, we have yeah. no idea the events surrounding that conversation. Well, and it's not a quote. You know what I mean? It's not a quote. It's Comey writing it afterwards. If he just dislikes it, that's true. Yeah. Funny. You know, you, yeah. he, he might not even be able to control the influence he has over the exact wording when he's recalling a screwy conversation where he wants to tell people something weird went on. So how do you do that? You know, especially if you're a, a law enforcement, you put, you know, that's a, that's an adversarial position. It's not in in an in interrogatory interrogative. It's like some some countries have. I think China has it where the judge is the investigator. We have an adversarial system. So somebody who feels like they're going to have to prove their case is always going to write as bad. You know, they're going to make it sound like yeah. their side. But here, I think ultimately. The, the thing that's going to get dragged out ad nauseum in this media circus thing is going to be a demand for the tapes. So the frenzy, the frenzy over what that memo said. So I guess, I guess like what an episode soon will be, you know, let's have a little <laughs> next week's episode. They'll have a, you know, maybe you get to see the memo and the memo is going to be super insanely cryptic. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be impossible to really decipher. He didn't exactly say this. It's like the Rosenstein memo where it's like, I didn't say you should fire him. I said you should puke on him. And that's different. (laughs) You know, it's like, really? But we think we know what you meant. So it's going to, this ambiguity is going to be stretched out, whether you see the memo or you never see the memo. I don't know. But this, the, the demand for Oval Office tapes, if they exist, will get louder. And then Trump or somebody maybe will say there are no tapes. And then, you know, that's another episode. But I really feel like the show, which is empty, devoid of content, is a big part of this. That, that I, I used to think, 
ratings and money and all that kind of stuff was like a, a distant second in what motivates these people. But when you look at people like Trump, Jeff Zucker, Hillary Clinton, I would say those three very important players in this or in the past year or two, they, I think all three of them are motiv- motivated primarily by money. Not Rupert Murdoch, who I think is like a super inside guy, but like those three people and this is how they're going to make it. Yeah. Well, they're making plenty of it doing it. Yeah, so I just think they're going to stretch out the series, you know, that that Trump promised Zucker, I will give you the drama you're looking for, which is why he does insane things like like tweets, Comey better hope there are no tapes in quotation marks. So, like, it's not even tapes he's talking about. He's talking about digital recordings. You know what I mean? Right. Those, those <laughs> tweets are so masterful. His quotes are so... He puts quote. You're right. He puts quotes in places that just drives people crazy. They're like, "Why did he put quotes around that? What does that mean?" Means, and they'll do like, whole oh, hour oh, segments. Oh my gosh! No way! I gotta tell you, the the tweet he put out after the Russian meeting, where he supposedly gave them information about laptops or whatever that implicated Israel, and Israel's going to stop cooperating with us, which is a ridiculous notion. But one of the things, so in that thing, nobody even said anything about this, like at first, but he just, he says, I I can say, this is his tweet, it was something to the effect of, I actually have it, I think I have it in actual, the tweet says, as president, I wanted to share with Russia at an openly scheduled White House meeting, which I have the absolute right to do. So it was openly scheduled, but he banned the press from it, which hasn't like made big news yet, but it will when this Putin thing comes out that Russia has a tape of it, but the U.S. doesn't. Obviously, Donald Trump is a Russian agent. Anyway, he says, as yeah. president, I wanted to share with Russia, which I have the absolute right to do, which he doesn't. It's not an absolute right. Uh, facts pertaining dot, 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 to terrorism and airline flight safety, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait, wait, what? Airline flight safety? Did you just tell us we're in danger? We should not fly? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is such an uncircumspect thing to do. Like, hey, America, uh, we've been keeping this from you, but we're seriously afraid the next time you get on a plane. You know, it's Are just- you allowed to have laptops on planes? I, I don't I have no I haven't flown in so long. Yeah, you can definitely have laptops on planes. You have to because if you're going – if you're going on a business trip, you have to take your laptop. So in some – like the, 10 Arab countries, I think it is, Middle Eastern countries, they're not allowed to actually have them in the whatever, in the passenger area. They I didn't like investigate it thoroughly, but I read a few articles about it this morning because I knew this was old news that uh, they maybe have to put them in the cargo hold. But the problem with that is – that the those batteries, those lithium-ion batteries that are in there are a danger. Like, I think that's quite possibly what brought down MH370 over the South China Sea. That, whatever, that was a whole nother psyop. Catch my article on that, <laughs> Cracking the Code on MH370 at MonicaPerezShow.com. <laughs> it's fantastic, really, truly. But so I was reading about this, and one of the things that stuck, struck me that you will find interesting is that the two... So they said, so this is complicated because lithium-ion batteries and laptops catch fire, just spontaneously combust. And they gave two examples of laptops spontaneously combusting, and both of the examples were coming in or out of uh, ATL. 
of the Atlanta, big Atlanta airport. Now, this is an international really? story. Yeah, it was an international story about Britain and Middle East countries and how England has these laptops. So I, I read a few of these articles about this international story, and I can't remember which article. The two examples, I was like, dude, ATL, like the center for uh, the UN's globalist you know, they they are the first mover in so many of these globalist plots. And you know what we think about I-85 uh, and the, yeah. and the I-20 chemical spill. I mean, the more I look at that video, did you ever revisit that video? The one where the, the truck flips over, the car stops in the middle of the road, the van? Yeah, a little car, or maybe it's a van, st- pulls over to the shoulder, traffic mysteriously stops. You know, yeah. so I can just envision in the back that they have like four drivers, stunt drivers, whatever, in a row holding back traffic. Who would even notice that? They probably thought the spill already happened. Like when people got home, they're like, I was right behind that spill. They didn't realize they were slowed down before the spill happened. That's what I think. So this car, like a weird looking car, pulls over to the right and then makes a hard left straight into the middle lane. The truck clips it on the corner, flips over. It's a weird looking truck. And then you have this chemical spill. And uh, it's the it more really I look at odd. It, the more I look at it, the more it is crystal clear. It's, it's like a stunt thing for a movie. Just look at it. I mean, just look at it again. It was so odd. Yeah. Nobody got hurt, just like everything else that happened there. And I was thinking when the motorcycle guy did a wheelie off the gas bubble that erupted under another Atlanta highway during the same week, we don't know for sure that guy got hurt. Yeah. It yeah. ended up not being, ended up saying it wasn't a gas bubble. Yeah, but I, but who knows what it was? And I thought, well, the guy got hurt. I don't think that they are doing that right now. I think for them to do something where people get hurt is pretty bad. But then it's like they just said the guy got hurt, maybe, you know, possibly. Yeah. Anyway, that, that all comes down to what you and I have both found when we've scratched the surface on UN globalist initiatives, sustainable cities, strong cities, ICLEI, I-C-L-E-I cities, all this stuff, uh, this International Steering Committee of Strong Cities, all this stuff, like so many things go back to Atlanta and ever since Kasim Reed took over. Well, what I want to know is I'm seeing these Google fi- fiber trucks all over Atlanta and my internet's still slow as hell. So I need to get some of the benefits. Yeah, who knows? What do you think they're up to? I saw those Google Fiber trucks, and I started researching a little bit of what you were just talking about, the smart city stuff. And we're, we're one of the – we're like part of 100 cities around the world that are part of a Rockefeller-funded, like, resilient city program. We're one of the few cities that are part of the smart city program, which I believe is aligned with uh, the UN kind of smart city agenda so we're all on board with that, and I think you pointed out that Kasim Reed, it kind of started when Kasim Reed took office. When he took office. I know you point out that he went to the Bilderberg meeting in 2014, but this way predates that. Yeah, and it's all about our infrastructure, too. You, you look that stuff up, it's all about our roads and the congestion. And what they've been trying to do for a really long time is get have us have – like no cars to live close to the city to have mass transit. I think they just yeah. gave up on that for U.S. citizens, which is why we got Uber and we're going to have driverless cars. And people think Uber and driverless cars go hand in hand. When I figured that out, I'm not trying to blow my own horn, but it did not. Like people were excited about the gig economy, thought it was a way where you could just have a pickup job, you know, a job that you could just do or not do. It was like it was all about it, it being a cool job and a cool resource. No, I literally figured it out because I thought, why? How did they let Uber 
break these incredibly powerful taxi cartels, like in San Francisco, in New York. I mean, absolutely unbreakable for decades. Something big is coming down and Uber doesn't even make any money. So I'm just saying, I think the reason they're doing that is when you drive, people don't own driverless cars. They're going to be just Ubers, just Johnny cabs everywhere. And, and you're going to have no resources to get, you know, if there's a problem and you want gold guns and a getaway, they're working on all that. They don't want you to have that stuff. Yeah. They just passed it in Georgia to have driverless cars on the road. I think it's a few weeks ago. I think they've had. I think they do it surreptitiously. I think they have people sitting in cars that they are not driving and have for a long time. Did you know that in most of the states, and I tweeted this, in most states right now, if you're in a driverless car, you still have to be sitting in the driver's seat behind the wheel, which to me, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the driverless car because I thought you were supposed to be able to sit in the back seat (laughs) and fool around with your sex bot. You are, you are, but that's the they can't that baby steps. They need to put you. They they need people. I'm asking to for too be, much. <laughs> your sex spot can be in the passenger seat for now, but <laughs> you can't. They don't want to freak people out. That's why I thought that true driverless cars will start with pizza delivery or you know Amazon. Oh yeah, you know that yeah. just so people don't have like they'll see the around like oh well it's not a person. It's just to get <laughs> you used to it. It's just to get you used to it. I think. So we we started that. We launched into that from the batteries on airplanes, talking about Trump saying that there's a threat on airplanes from the Russian meeting. Oh yeah, I was just I was just uh, warning them about airline danger. Hello, oh is that a secret? It's like yeah, what? Yeah. Yes, it is a secret, or it shouldn't be a secret. You know, like tell me what am I supposed to be afraid yeah. of? There is something going on with this airline thing. I knew it the second that United passenger was dragged off the plane on the video, and the CEO said, good job, guys. Then the next week it was American. The next week it was Delta. Then it's the laptop thing. Now he says this. Something big is coming to the airline industry. I assume it's either going to be a big regulatory change or the airline industry will do this thing that will either make things more expensive, make prices go up, be worse for us or better for them, or make it harder to enter their business, cartelize it, you know, tighten up. Regulations are what cartels use to keep competition out of the industry. That's what regulations are for. So that if the, if the, and, and and I, I, at the remote, at the harp that we did a couple of weeks ago, the guy, I, when I said that several people laughed at me and they're like, are you kidding? United lost a ton of money. And I was like, really like revenue. They said, no, no stock price. I was like, Oh, that helps because it's an age old custom to crash the price of something you want to buy and then buy yeah. it at the bottom because you know, it's not a real story. And lo and behold, you know, I heard someone talking about it on the radio the other day. Wow. It's amazing how United has rebounded. I was like, yes, because this is something's happening, you know, something's coming yeah. down. So when I saw this laptop thing, when I saw Trump's tweet, when I saw Atlanta, I thought this, you gotta, what to watch out for. It's, it's also going to make people paranoid. You start, you see somebody on an airplane pull out their laptop and people are, they might start freaking out. Maybe they'll only allow it in first class. Because that's you can't. Terrorists can only sit in first class now. <laughs> no, the terrorists have to sit in coach, 
and the white businessman sits in first class. You know, you oh, just you white, can't. Yeah. You're, they really depend on that first class customer to pay ten thousand dollars for one seat. You know, they're not going to. That guy isn't going to be happy if he can't have his laptop. Yeah, well, if a guy starts trying to light his laptop on fire, get the hell off of that plane. <laughs> No, they just explode by themselves, which why why putting them in the cargo area is better makes no sense to me because why can't he just right. detonate it and then run away? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it just doesn't make sense because I know how laptop bombs work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. An- another thing with that Oval Office meeting, oh, yeah. if we accept the premise that there is that there, ISIS is threatening Russia and they are taking laptops on planes potentially to blow up civilians, right. full, full, plates yeah. full of civilians, yeah. then by the way everybody's talking in the media, you would think that they would prefer if we did not tell them that that yes, might happen. Yes. Well, that's what's so crazy about this. That's what's making me insane about this. And I noticed it from the moment Flynn's story hit the pages in January and Trump said, it's the leaks, it's the media, blah, blah, blah. It's this, who Flynn should be able to make deals with the Russians in the privacy of his own office. You know, it's like, what? You know, he didn't say that. I'm exaggerating for effect. <laughs> but- my point is to confuse the privacy of the citizen with the privacy of the agent is insane because those people work for us. And the analogy is if the lawyer that works for you is making is doing work for you, you should get a transcript of every one of his phone calls. You should understand everything your agent is doing. The government agents, government actors, operatives, employees have no right to privacy. Just like when you work in a corporation, people, the, you when you work in a bank, they are, they are quite possibly you are aware they're recording your phone calls. They read your emails. They do that to prevent fraud and theft and corruption and all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely true, and you have to take a two week vacation in a row so that any kind of weird thing you have that you've got to monitor unwinds. I mean, you really monitor and surveil important jobs when you're the corporation that owns it. So these people are our agents. They have, they should have no rights privacy. If you want something that is not public, you should have to say, okay, this conversation is off the record for national security reasons, just like an FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request. That has to be responded to unless there's a reason why it shouldn't be. And that's so with this is going to turn into a way to lock down, increase opacity, decrease transparency in the government, which is insane. And that that's that. And then people are clamoring for that. You know, they're saying, don't tell us like we're, we're super angry that people are leaking this stuff to the paper. It's like, no, you should be happy when they're messing with you. That's what the leaks are about. And that's what the papers are doing. However, the premise that whistleblowers or leakers or whatever are bad for us is upside down. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get us to demand that we get rid of all the whistleblowers. Right, and then, and not realize that, that our privacy issues aren't being discussed. You know, we yeah. are not, there's nobody talking about it. Trump never talks about the Fourth, Fifth, First Amendment. Never, never. He's not there for us. But I wanted to touch on something, or have you touch on something, that I was noticing in a different story, but you were noticing about this story, and I didn't really see it. So you come back to that. But let me tell you, this cyber attack, this international uh, malware, wanna cry, wanna cry. Oh yeah. So Putin said, <clears throat> U.S. intelligence did it. 
and and his evidence is that it was created the malware was created by the nsa and it was they're like yeah really yes it was and they're like but it was stolen (laughs) <laughs> it's like what Obviously. they created. So they have this anti-hacking thing through which they hack stuff. So they take Microsoft and they hack the crap out of it. And then they, you know, save the file of how to hack Microsoft. And then Microsoft has to come up with a reboot, you know, a fix. So they did. So like white people, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just saying that as a joke, like Americans, like rich Americans get, you know, have complete security and the rest of the world, it's like being vaccinated. You know, if you're, uh, uh, you're yes, completely yes, immune to a disease, if you're this American vaccinated walking around Africa, you can watch everybody die, but you don't, you're not going to die because you're vaccinated. So these things are like previous gen, but it was NSA and they released it. And then, so what I'm, but what I was seeing in that story, uh, that was that this recurring theme that reminds me of the report from Iron Mountain. Uh, where they said this is a global problem that requires international cooperation. Only governments can solve this, which is crap, because McAfee solved that problem the last time around totally privately, and he could solve it again and again and again. But uh, but the report from Iron Mountain says we need to justify the existence of government. The bigger, the better. The higher, the better. World government. So they create opportunities. That's what the environmental thing is about. It's like a way to get global government to be the only possible answer. That's what that cyber attack, in my opinion, in part was about. And I think you found that in the Comey stuff, right? The the cyber attack – did I say something about the Comey you stuff said and cyber attack? the Comey thing – no, that the Comey thing was related to international – Oh, the, yes, the, yes. Calls for help, you know, okay, cries yeah. for help, which is true for the whole Trump thing, right? It's, it's, it's oh, not absolutely. about – Oh, absolutely. rights. It's not about diminishing the federal government. Yeah, I mean if, if normal thinking people would be like, oh, thank goodness, this is what states' rights are for. <laughs> Boy, I was crazy to think that we should upsource elections or upsource the police, but that's what they're calling for. It's insane. It's illogical. It's insane. I sent uh, Noam Chomsky an email like <laughs> a, over like a year and a half ago. I was like, "Hey, dude, do you think Brexit? The whole purpose for Brexit is to make nationalism versus globalism uh, a worldwide conversation to and demonize nationalism and make globalism the only solution in the process and and uh he he responds to emails sometimes and he was like oh that's an interesting theory i'm he not did? convinced and uh-huh. yeah and i should have replied i should have replied you're a shill anyway a what shill. do i care he is a yeah. shill <laughs> like i think it's to i think it's to demonize nationalism and make make the public so afraid that we've been invaded by this evil nationalist Russian threat that they seek outside international help. And there's been people in the media who've been making statements like that over the past few months. Well, the Macron election where he won in France, so he was against the nationalist. And then Merkel in Germany, her like uh, party made some significant victory and then she's up for re-election which is just astounding since she let a million people in and they got all that bad press for refugee stuff some of which was perpetrated by german military that they were they were actual proven false flags They're, the the germans are saying well they were rogue soldiers they're in jail now whatever but so i think that this whole 
what's the meaning of Trump? What's the mystery here? Is this really to create a global backlash or did, you know, is populism, which is not an American concept. Well, I mean, it is, but that's not what was bubbling up to the surface, in my opinion, is that winning. And I think it's this this uh, whole Trump psyop is coming crashing down. So obvious, same old, same old, just another psychological tactic as he bombs Syria, as this distraction keeps him from getting any of his campaign agenda through. And as France and Germany don't even don't even do the nationalist thing. They're even going to they're just like the, the globalist snapback has already taken hold. And it reminds me of when George Soros said years ago, tension with Russia will reunite the EU. And so now I just think Brexit and Trump, whatever, that's just about creating a an Atlanticist block that uh, maybe the EU doesn't need England, or at least they speak English now. You know, maybe England was just in there to get them to speak English and then to strengthen our international bonds by the Brexit-Trump thing and uh, uh, separation from EU, making us uh, the stronger alliance, one-off trade things as just being ways to sew together the regions across the Atlantic. I don't know if that makes sense, but anyway, let's hear your clip. The clip is from one of my favorites, Keith Oberman. Great. I'm Keith Oberman, and this is The Resistance. I appeal to the intelligence agencies and the governments of what is left of the free world, to them as entities, entireties, as bureaucracies making official decisions, and to the individuals who make decisions of conscience, to GCHQ and MI6 in the UK, to the BND in Germany, the DGSE in France, the ASIS in Australia, and even to the GRU in Russia, where they must already be profoundly aware that they have not merely helped put an amoral cynic in power here, but an uncontrollable <laughs> one whose madness is genuine and whose usefulness, even to them, is at an end. To all of them and to the world's journalists, I make this plea. We, the citizens of the United States of America, are the victims of a coup. We need your leaks, your information, your intelligence, your recordings, your videos, your conscience. We need their conscience. Who <laughs> is the audience for this? The, the people in the most extreme edge of this resistance movement are his target audience. Extreme edge as in like lowest IQ or what? I mean what? Yeah, people who believe Trump's the Russian. Bill Maher said at the end of his show the other day, which I had that clip but I couldn't find it. He said, you know, I'm getting to the point where I think we should just ask the UN to step in and help. Ah! And he was referring to taking out Trump. Ah! That's, I mean, obvious. Like I, you were predicting that early. I, I feel like you've expressed that sentiment in the past, you. That that I did. Well, yeah, I did. we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I, this is moving so fast that it bums me out because I, I see it coming like one, just only one step ahead, and that to me verifies that it's a psyop that's rolling out. But, but I don't necessarily have time to like tell you about it so that you can be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because then when it happens, you're like, oh, you're right. So, but one of the things that I saw just happening so clearly is that, uh, and this really is a, an example of like not caring about truth or content that the story then becomes Trump is mad. 
he's crazy. He's, he's, you know, all those things. And then that's when you hear talk of the 25th Amendment. Yeah. And that's what this Russia thing is where they're like, oh, we don't, you know, I heard one person say, oh, we don't even tell. Trump couldn't have leaked stuff about intelligence because we don't tell him anything. And then I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You shouldn't tell him anything. He's a diplomat. You know, like that's, you, you, sh- you can't burden people with information they are not allowed to use unless they need to know it. And he never needs to know operational methods or anything. But but the punchline was because he wouldn't understand it anyway. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So the CIA is sitting there putting their heads together with Obama saying, okay, what do you think we should do next? We have operative X in Israel. And we think, you know, what do you think, Mr. President? You know, he's like, well, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's definitely not happening. So he's such they, a genius, Obama. Such yeah, a genius. What they do is it's like when my husband has like the tax returns. He, I don't even put my glasses on. He puts his finger down. He's like, sign there, sign there, sign there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's what's that's what's happening. So, I mean, that's what's always happening. And I right. know it on Inauguration Day when Obama told Trump, like, it's all about protocol. Stand here. Do that. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's all about protocol. I get it now. So that so that was ridiculous. But what I think they're saying now, and I saw hints of it in today's journal, was this is so serious. This guy is so incompetent. He's actually a danger to our national security. And if you read the 25th Amendment, yeah. you'll see that Pence can, can uh, rustle up a posse and go to the Senate and, and <laughs> suspend suspend Trump, and then and then Trump could take the reins back if he can prove himself. You know, get out of get out of the loony bin. But that is what could happen. And you know, and then I remember Trump's inaugural song. The first words of it: "The end is near. We're about to face the final curtain." I mean, who picks that song for their inauguration? Donald Trump. Yeah. Or whoever, you know, like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people on the left, a lot of people on the left are more afraid of Pence than they are of Trump because of his position or their, their, they, what they abortion. perceive his position. Yes. Stuff like that. And gay rights and stuff. But, you know, the answer for everyone is move to California and don't make yeah. the federal government in charge of everything. You know, California will take care of all of those people. I'm not kidding. Like, California's big. No, I know, yeah. It's got a lot of jobs. Just go out there. You can do whatever you want out there. You can, you can dip yourself in green paint and shave your entire body and just walk around. Like, you just do whatever just be, you want. So just do be that. A different it's gender. Every yeah. day you can be Every a day gender. your your arm can be a different gender from your legs. I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's like the fourth largest economy in the world. Just go there and and don't let the I don't want the federal government to have this power whether I like what they do or not. All I want is for them to obey the constitution, which basically is do virtually nothing. <laughs> you know, just don't do <laughs> anything. I want the Articles of Confederation back where the government did not have the right to tax. Yes, you're hardcore. You go back to the the Federalist Papers, hardcore. Yeah, uh, anti-Federalist Papers. Those are my anti-Federalist. So So the Federalist Papers were Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and I don't know who else. I forget. And then uh, they were the ones who were saying 
creating unbelievable propaganda like this. This is definitely not yeah. working. We owe, owe all these people money for the Revolutionary War. And we're not going to pay them back. And then we're going to get screwed and blah, blah, blah. And obviously there's chaos in the street, which there wasn't. And then Patrick Henry wrote the – which you never even heard of the Anti-Federalist Papers because they were intentionally – I believe I read something from way back when – expunged from history lessons, like from history textbooks and everything, so that there was an answer of Patrick Henry saying, no, you have to keep the power agrarian. You have to keep it at the states. You can't, you will not have a defensive, uh, competent population if if you upsource. You know, he didn't say that, but, it, and he's <laughs> right. He was so right that like you had to have an agrarian population because they know how to use pitchforks, you know, when they have to. That right. it's, you really know how to do stuff, and that's what you need. He was absolutely right. The Anti-Federalist Papers, good one. <laughs> I haven't gotten through them yet. They're a little thick. It's The stuff is hard to read. It's hard to read. Like uh, this Jefferson Adams correspondence, I have the book. It's on, I keep picking it up. It's the all the letters between Jefferson and Adams who were different. Like I would like Jefferson. I probably would not like Adams. But they, they have these – Really fascinating conversations, but all the flowery language, it's like you really want the Cliff Notes version. Maybe that's what my life's work should be, to just, like, edit <laughs> those letters. Just, just like, you know, black line. They're just like, no, no, too many words. That word's too long. I think you just stumbled on a great business opportunity for libertarians. If you did that, made Cliff Notes of the Anti-Federalist Papers for libertarians and oh anarcho- – Oh my gosh, my I just got butterflies in my stomach. I would love that. Not to do it, but to read it. Well, yeah, it. but if you made it, if you made <laughs> it, that's, it. you know. You know what I should do? I should do it in audio. I should just get them. I think Jay Dyer did that Tragedy and Hope. Yeah, um, I I could get it, read it, not to you, but then just like, like, oh, this is the first one. This is what it says. This is the second one. Great idea. I'll put that on my list of things to do after the 10 loads of laundry that are waiting for me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give you one more thing before we wrap up, which I wish I would have cut the clip now. But you talked about how people are making the Trump-Nixon comparisons. Yeah, for sure. During the Pelosi town hall – so like right after the the White House meeting with with Trump and the Russians and – no, after that meeting, like the next day, there was this Pelosi town hall that was just all about Russia and Trump. And then the day after that, <laughs> yes. there was a yes. Bernie Sanders, Kasich, John Kasich's debate that was supposed to be yeah. about health care. But the issue of the day, as Kasich or Kasich put it, Kasich. was Trump Russia, Kasich. So that was also all about Russia. It was ridiculous. But I, I actually stumbled past that, and it was unlistened to. But I am from New York, terrible. and I can't stand listening to Bernie Sanders. I can't stand it. it. It's like it's, it's like listening to an old comedian from the forties already. I can't stand that's it. Pretty, that's how we talk. Because I'm a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker, and that's <laughs> the way they. It's just uh, you know that just goes way too far. You gotta you gotta straighten up a little bit. He's been in Vermont for fifty years. Bernie Sanders does not answer a question or respond to anything anyone says without lacing through the entire response his exact verbiage and wording that he used during his campaign. Well, healthcare for everybody. Take money away from the, the, the top 1%. Just every single answer, he says the exact same thing. It doesn't matter. What, hey, Bernie, what would you have for lunch? We need to take money away from the top 1%. 
<laughs> no, Bernie, I just want to know what, what you had for lunch. <laughs> My husband does that. Like you'll, you'll ask him a question and he will literally, this is, this has happened many, many times. You will literally say like, Hey, can we blah, blah, blah. And he'll say no. And they'll say, what, what was the question? <laughs> you have to say like his answer is always no. And then he, right, he's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, oh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like Bernie's always going to be like, take money response. out of the 1%. Wait, what? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Bernie, what time is it? Free college for everyone is a right. To- <laughs> Bernie, what time is it, man? Oh, two. <laughs> free college. Oh, that's fantastic. Free college. That's exactly what anything you ask him. What? Free college. What? <laughs> 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 he wakes up. He wakes up from nightmares. And he's like free college for everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, very, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> so during that debate, not that debate. During that, oh yeah, another thing they were doing during that thing, they asked him, and I heard this talked about on like three different networks. Will Bernie Sanders run again in 2020? He'll be 79 oh. years old. <laughs> He's going to go from the cryosphere. He's going to run from from the Futurama do, head bubble. Yes, it's, it, his head bubble. We bring it back to the head bubble right there next to Nixon and uh, James Clapper. Yes, yes, exactly. President Bernie. No, Hillary, they're, saying, they're writing articles that Hillary's going to run. It's, Hillary's absolutely Hillary's not going run. to run. Oh, you think so? But Elizabeth Warren I, is going to be the I, next, the first female president. For sure. Or, or what's her name? Who just uh, the one Yates? Yates is another one who oh, people are pushing to run. That's interesting. But here's why I think it's going to be Pocahontas, because which I actually hate that Trump calls her that because it's it's really disrespectful. Like it's not nice to it's not the to Pocahontas American Indian. Yes, <laughs> it's Pocahontas. And uh, and to American Indians who have yeah. nothing to do with this, they, she's ripping them off. But he gives her press, he gives her PR. He he's doing to her what what CNN did for him, which is oh boy, oh boy, you know who we're scared of is that Pocahontas. I mean, boy, oh boy, it's just anybody but Pocahontas, you know. Yeah. And so then then you've got. Then all the resistance is going to be like Pocahontas. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I did, but I mean, when you hear him say her name, you're just like, oh, PR, PR, PR. You know better than anybody. Yeah. No PR is bad PR. Absolutely. Everybody bashes Trump. They love Trump because it, it's getting them, like you said earlier, all these ratings and attention. Oh, what, my, what I was saying a second ago is they started during one of these, during I think it was the the Pelosi one, they started referring to Nixonian or Nixon as Trumponian. Like they alluded to that. So <laughs> Yeah, that's great. It should be Trumpian. It should be Trumpian. 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 In fifty years, people won't know what Nixonian is because they'll be saying, Oh, Nixon, he was a a, a Trumpian. He he made a Trumpian move in the White House. But Nixon had you know the Nixon story did, was was a setup by the CIA, I believe, but and he was covering it up, knowing it was, uh, is my understanding, that he he just wasn't going to precipitate that crisis. He wanted to save himself from the Senate and the Congress and stuff, but he wasn't going to reveal. I don't know. I mean, that's just hearsay. But 
in any case, there's a real story there. Like it unfolded. The stuff I was reading today, like he was caught later on the same tapes, which he did not destroy or pull out of his office, which is a little suspicious, but it was so bad. He was like, let's give that guy a million dollars cash to shut up. I mean, like, honestly, <laughs> you know, that's in yeah. the transcript. And you're like, what? So, so there was real, real cover up. I mean, that just like gave cover up a whole new, like it was, there's so much power to it. And this story, though, to me is like I'm looking at the Watergate stuff just to see the high. I almost want to read a book about it just to see the chapter headings to see what's going to what the, what David Axelrod or whoever is going to unroll next. Yeah. And, and it's fake. It's just made up. And they don't idea. and they realize they don't even have to say they don't even have to. It doesn't even have to be happening there. If the if tapes never materialize, the story is going to be that they he destroyed them. Yeah. You know, and so there's not going to be any, it's not going to be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there are tapes. Then you're going to have people saying, well, I have this scribbled napkin that says he offered a million dollars in cash to shut somebody up. It's on the scribbled napkin. And if we had the tapes, you know. I'd love to see during a congressional hearing or like an interview saying, we need someone to produce the scribbled napkin. And then somebody being interviewed just kind of, you know, <laughs> while trying to still look it. up, they just, yeah, they just scribble it down on their knee and they're like, here it is. We have the scribbled napkin. Like when I forged my husband's signature on the check at the bank, I'm just like, oh shit, I forgot to get him to sign this. And I'm just like, <laughs> um, just, I'm sorry. I, he's in the car. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. Just, you just turn, you just turn around. You're like, ma'am, you're, you're, you never left the bank. <laughs> That's a purple pen in your hand. You know, his signature's in purple. <laughs> Don't pay no mind to that. <laughs> ah, good times. <laughs> good times. So do you have anything else you want to cover? I have so much else. I could, <laughs> I could, I could literally read to you the Comey May 3rd transcript. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you yeah, want to hear the quotes from it? I did. Yeah, and yeah, I, it was... Three and a half hours long. So what I've tried to be more efficient. So if I sometimes I listen to it on YouTube on like two times speed, sometimes I print off the transcript. You can get some real gold if you if you do it, if you learn the time saving techniques. But what I was noticing was I remember from Harry Reid calling Mitt Romney a tax cheat on the Senate floor that they're allowed to lie. So they can completely lie and you cannot do anything against them. So senators will say stuff and then lie. I'm laughing because my kids and I were watching <laughs> Hank, Hank Johnson, the best of Hank Johnson, the congressman. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. John Ossoff's man. Oh, really? Yeah, John Ossoff worked for him. There, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this whole funny, funny reel. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. And then, and then what pops up when you watch that is Hitler finds out, you know, what Hank Johnson said about Guam. Did you watch that? <laughs> I haven't. I've seen the Hitler reaction videos. We were, th yeah, this is the best one I ever saw by a lot. Like my son, who's 11, who knows a little bit about history. I mean, we were rolling around on the floor. Like I had to pause it numerous times because we were laughing so hard now this may out us as complete dork nerds but you know you're gonna watch it and be like what do you mean borneo and i'm like no no really <laughs> flip borneo like a pancake so it's so funny 
funny. We have to put that in the show notes. But but my point is that they say crazy, outrageous things, and they can get away with it, and they put words in people's mouths, and there's nothing you can do about it. So here were just a few from the Comey hearing May 3rd, which I believe he said he didn't regret stepping uh, over Loretta Lynch coming out without her permission and ignoring Sally Yates, who was next in command. He said that May 3rd, when Rosenstein took office, he said, get rid of Comey because Rosenstein is the Sally Yates of today's administration. So Comey said on May 3rd, I would break ranks again. And Rosenstein wanted him fired. That would be a completely reasonable explanation, but they don't want a reasonable explanation. They want trouble. But anyway, this is, so that's why I was went back to read the May 3rd transcript of the Comey testimony And I stumbled upon these crazy Senate things. So Grassley, who's a Republican, said uh, the New York Times recently reported that the FBI had found a troubling email among the ones the Russians hacked from Democrat operatives. Uh, The email reportedly provided assurances that Attorney General would protect Secretary Clinton by making sure the FBI investigation didn't go too far. So this crazy, ridiculous email But what Grassley says is, you know, just throws in there the ones the Russians hacked from the Democrat operatives instead of alleged. Yeah, it's just proven. Yeah. And then Comey says it's with high it's with high uh, confidence that the intelligence community concluded it was Russia. It's hard to attribute a hack, but sometimes the intelligence is there. Just like we have high confidence that the North Koreans hacked Sony, which to me was an unbelievable psyop. We have high yeah. confidence that the Russians did the hacking of the DNC. I have a low confidence. In, Com- in Comey's veracity? Yes, low confidence in Comey. If you have a low confidence in the intelligence community, that does negate the high confidence they have. Exactly. In ridiculous. Yeah. So Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar is a main actor in this PSYOP, as we know, because she floated the balloon about Oval Office tapes. Being there. Now, who is she? And she's a senator from Minnesota. She's a Democrat. And uh, she so so she says to Comey, as you are well aware, Russia is actively working to undermine our democracy and hurt American businesses (laughs) at the same time. Of course. Of course. Everybody knows that. It goes on here. Here was a little bombshell from Senator Graham that Lindsey Graham, who which was not just like we know Russia did all this stuff. This is something that I consider to be high foreshadowing. Also, hashtag what to watch out for. OK, do you, Graham says to Comey, do you agree with me that ISIL loses the caliphate? And these people go out throughout the world and become terrorist agents. And the threat of terrorism to the homeland is greater over time, not smaller. How do you like that? And Comey says, yes, yes. Uh, The hardened killers flowing out of the caliphate will be a big problem. So Graham's saying, he says, on the one hand, let's get ISIS. Let's blow everything up. Let's bomb them. And then on the other hand, he says, but I'm just just letting you know that after you do that, then we're really going to have problems. Which is exactly yeah. what Assad said. Assad said, basically, I think he maybe quoted Napoleon and said, "Après moi, le déluge." After me, the flood. I am, I am the dam that keeps these radical Islamists out of Europe. And I would add the way Gaddafi kept it out of North Africa and Egypt too. You put those guys in jail, you lock them up, and then when when we come and liberate them, they flow like like uh, lava the, over the whole land. Yeah. So it says, Graham says, uh, 
He says, is it fair to say the Russian government is still involved in American politics? And Comey says, yes. He says, so what kind of threat do you believe Russia presents to our democratic process, given what you know about Russia's behavior of late? Comey says, well, certainly in my view, the greatest threat of any nation on earth, given their intention (laughs) and their capability. How does he know their intention? Oh, because he knows stuff, because he's the FBI guy. And And their uh, capability? I mean, are they as capable? They're, I guess they're capable of hacking. Oh, he's talking about I, hacking. Yeah, yeah so. I guess. Yeah. So Comey says later in the testimony, in the hearing, our focus is and should be on the leakers, not those uh, legitimate news gatherers. Leakers. Okay, so Franken is great. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, he's just such a – literally a he's clown. He's a clown. Yeah. Uh, so this is what he says. This is like a, it's, it's the question at the end is, is what Comey says, but Franken's like lead up is crazy. He says, oh, he's got this hilarious one. Uh, good to see you, Mr. Director. I'm going to kind of pick, pick up where White House was going. Are you familiar with the report called the Kremlin playbook? <laughs> so this is an expert report that exhaustively documents Russia's past efforts to undermine European democracies. According oh. to the report, Russia is known to cultivate close ties with business and political leaders in target countries. This is stuff you acknowledged to Senator Whitehouse that you knew happened. Uh, it explains, quote, that Russia has cultivated an opaque network of patronage across the region that it uses to influence and direct decision making. It goes. I really should have pulled the quote, the clip on this. It goes on and on. Did you say Senator Whitehouse? Can you believe that? Is he going to be our next president or what? Like that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's like, it's like Anthony Weiner. It's like, what should I do with my free time? Says Anthony Weiner. <laughs> <laughs> What should I do as a career, says White House. So, and so Franken goes on and on. I really am not going to, but it's pretty amazing. And he, in my opinion, there is setting us up for what Clapper says a week later. We need to re- recreate the Cold War era USIA and put it on steroids. And that's about influence abroad. So exactly what Franken oh. said is the Kremlin playbook is going to be what Clapper has got the USIA on steroids. Oh my gosh! That just I, I just, that just registered with me. The USIA on steroids. Yeah. How it connects with we had talked about the Chatham House uh, a, Chatham. a few months back. Chatham. Oh yeah, I say it wrong. The Sorry. Chatham House, which is the the UK or the the British propaganda. It's 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 all it's one of the oldest propaganda houses in the world. It's the sister and, or mother of the CFR. People know what the Council of Foreign Relations is. The Chatham House right. spawned the CFR. It used to be called the Royal Institute for International Affairs. So in one of their papers I read it's called like the Russian problem or something like that. They talk about how the greatest threat to the international order is Russia, Russian nationalism and how the American people need to be educated about the dangers of Russian nationalism, which, as we talked about on, your, on the last show, I think uh, for episode 40 on the WSB show, when they say need to be educated, they're saying need to be propagandized. That's they use those terms interchangeably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, interesting. They're also so. 
you know, they do words backed by deeds. That's the whole – that's Edward Bernays, the foundation of the propaganda. We, we do public demonstrations, and then we use words to really make them sink in, but we have to do words backed by deeds. We have to create news is what they're talking about. But they also talked about – and that's why I think – that's how I think the whole Trump thing can link into that is a giant um, you know, publicity stunt almost. They also talked about how the Russian people also needed to be educated. On the dangers of Russian nationalism, and that—that's the USIA. USIA. Yeah, the USIA right exactly there is exactly is. what that yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is happening. Like, so they're going to create whatever the Ministry of Truth. I have to read this. I'm a little disorganized, but I have to read this one last quote by Franken as kind of a summary. I mean, you could this hearing, you could go. We could have pulled a thousand clips. I'm going to stop after this, but this just synthesizes. Everything Franken says just makes this statement. We know that on the Senate floor, so you think it's real, it's in the record, and and actually that makes it fake. (laughs) We know that the Russians interfered in our election and they did it to benefit President Trump. The intelligence agencies confirmed that these connections appear against a backdrop of proven Russian interference in the election <laughs> and interference that the intelligence community has concluded was designed to favor President Trump. That's just simply not true. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And there's like 10 of those. I could I, – I'm not going to waste the time. It's but. crazy. It hasn't <laughs> been pre- – and you know, you know what, what people don't realize is that in 2008 – well, first of all, Countries try to influence everybody's election all the time, and we about, influence people's elections. Yes, all the time what about too. the 100 senators signed a letter to the UN, every single senator on behalf of Israel? So, so we're saying that every single solitary senator, from Senator Warren to Ted Cruz to Rand Paul to John McCain to Barbara Box or whoever, they all have the exact same opinion and would all sign this letter on behalf of Israel to the UN without without consulting a representative of Israel like that is foreign influence and and it's all over the place and if you like it that's great fine but foreign influence in and of itself is not the problem the problem is what is the influence for like what are you saying Russia is doing what are you saying where is the content Sorry. yeah well we already know that you <laughs> The point of view is you have to let Russians get on a plane and get blown up, or if you try to warn them, then you know, you're know you a Russian agent. That seems to be the point of view that they're putting forth in the media. You're not even allowed to warn them of a threat. But Putin – you know who Putin wanted to win in 2008? You know who his favored candidate was? Oh, he loved Hillary Obama. Clinton. It was Barack Obama. He praised yeah, Barack Obama. I know. And he was like the benevolent socialist leader. I I thought Putin was the benevolent, like was portrayed certainly in RT, which I used to listen to, but really can't because it is so propaganda now. But yeah. he he was portrayed like as this great like Russian patriot who would use the power of the government for the people, which is not. I don't think that's true, but yeah. but Obama. That's what what people who fell for Obama's stuff. We're thinking, you know, that the, he was the great benevolent socialist leader that they had always thought had to be real, you know, uh, in the face of the cynicism of the right, who's like, yeah, nice idea, never going to happen. So you have to have the power, you know, at the level of the individual. So, so Putin and Obama were a natural fit at that point, in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe they still are. 
I don't know. I, I'm in over my head on this, on, on which way Russia <laughs> swings. You know, I try to figure it out and I just, I can't. I think I figured Trump out, or at least I know I have an opinion that's weighing towards he's just whatever shill. But uh, I just think that anytime the media, the media effort is so coordinated towards demonizing, you know, one enemy like they're doing with Russia, history has proven time and time again that that is generally propaganda and most of it is not not saying that Putin's a good guy or anything but that the coordinated de- demonization effort is intended to you know provoke some sort of war against yeah. that person or use that person as some sort of scapegoat and i think trump is also being universally demonized but in his case he's shown as like his catchphrase tagline whatever in the apprentice was you're fired and he was yeah. he's a, you know wwe superstar he's a wrestling star so he knows the power and the profit in being the villain so i, I that's why i think he yeah. he plays into it he could get kidnapped and put in, uh, you know, a Chinese prison camp for like four years, and he would still be branding himself the entire time he was there. You know, that would become part of his yes. Trump brand. Yeah, for sure. He'd be selling stuff to the other prisoners. Trump hair. <laughs> I'll sell you a piece of my hair for a dollar. Yeah, you can stay in Trump hair. Tower when we get out of this place. Yeah. <laughs> They'll know it's mine because it's white on the bottom and orange on the ends. <laughs> All right. Well, we could obviously go on forever, and that's probably not a good plan. So yes. I think we should wrap it up and uh, super fun. We were a little behind on putting our podcast out because the WSB show uh, is back full time, three hours a week. So you can uh, either listen to that on WSB or we also push that through commercial free. Thanks to them. I appreciate that uh, on our channel. So what should people do? Binkley. To Go to propaganda report. Us. Go to propagandareportdaily.com and subscribe on the little iTunes, click the little um, iTunes, Apple, or the Google Play button. And if you're already a subscriber, tell a friend of yours who, if you think you have a friend who might who might be into all the propaganda but is kind of a reasonable person and, and willing to consider alternative possibilities, tell them about it and perhaps enlighten them or tell friends who you think it might piss off. <laughs> and if you like this particular podcast, share it. I don't even know why I promote it because we don't – it's not like – I don't. do we even have advertising? Do we even have any of that stuff? It's just fun to get it out there. No. I like people to yeah. – yeah. so I like, I like people to, um, to, you know, get us some momentum. Anyway, all righty. That sounds awesome. Uh, always a pleasure, Binkley. And until next time, this is the Propaganda Report. See you later. Yes, it does. Have you had enough of the rubber stamp?